welcome to part eight of the Culture Connection. And Coach Weaver, I'm really excited to dive into this topic because everything we've talked about up to this point, whether it's been sweeping the shed or building a band of brothers or being an alpha, alpha athlete, alpha leader, it's all about competition. Yeah, and don't we love that? I mean, it's all about competing at the end of the day, whether it's a you versus yourself mentality or you versus a team. Uh, just if you think about where we've been in part one to where we are in part eight now, it all culminates with competition. Yeah, you know, it's so powerful because I don't think there's ever an end to a competition. Even if your only test is the mirror test and you're looking in the mirror every night, and I write in my book how if you can answer two questions, if you can be okay with the decisions you've made throughout the day, and if you can live with the kind of person you are and you can look back at that person staring at you and at the man in the mirror and be okay with everything and, and the direction your life's going, you can pass the mirror test. And when I think about competition, you know, it starts out with maybe you're earning your role on a team or maybe you're trying to find your way and navigate the world. And eventually when you get to be old like us and we're pretty established in our careers and, you know, we're living our life's purpose, we're doing our life's work, we're still competing to build a better version of ourselves every day. Yeah, that's so true that we, when I was listening to you talk about all that stuff, you know, when you compete daily, it's such, it's such a hard thing to wrap your mind around because, I mean, I compete with myself on how much can I get done in a day. You know, and like you said, whether it's earning your spot in the locker room or, you know, things that you have to do to earn the right to compete, uh, man, there's there's so many things we're going to dive in with. Pete Carroll's always compete. Yeah, you know, there's very few transformational leaders in our generation over the last 20 years that have led the way Pete Carroll has. And he's flawed. We're human. We're going to make mistakes. We, we mess up. You know, that's part of competing, too, is that it's sloppy. It never goes exactly how you script it. You know, competition. And as long as you come out on top at the end of the day, that's what competing means to me. So I want to give the, I want to give the compelling question. And uh, he says it later on, but Dan McCarney at Iowa State, he used to tell us when I was on his staff, how do you want to be remembered? Well, Coach Weaver, when I think of competition, true competition, really what we're trying to build every day with that daily fist fight is our legacy. And your legacy should grow just a little bit every day. And I'm reading a book, making my notes on a book right now uh, by Gary Pomerantz, and it's called Their Life's Work. And it's over the brotherhood of the 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers. And basically, Chuck Knoll, the coach of the Steelers at the time, when they, before they won four Super Bowls in six years, he played seven years under Paul Brown, uh, the namesake of the Cleveland Browns. And when Paul Brown would cut somebody, he wouldn't say, oh, you're cut, turn in your playbook, whatever. He'd tell them, it's time to get on with your life's work. And when I think about legacy, think about competing, we all probably heard the acronym of the NFL, it's not for long. And really, the rest of your time on earth then should be dedicated to doing your life's work. Yeah, so I think about family legacy as you're saying that. And our family legacy you know, do, do you want to be one that's worth following? So do I want to follow the legacy that my dad has left? Does my son want to follow the legacy that I'm going to leave? Uh, and not just nearly, you know, uh, what my profession is, but how I serve others. 
you know, what I do in the little little moments. How do I handle adversity? Stuff like that. So, you know, when you look at competitors, and there's 1% of them that are considered legendary. And I think that leads into our reflective question right now. Yeah, the compelling question that I think about when I think about legacy or competing is, how do you want to be remembered? My first job out of college was on Dan McCartney's staff at Iowa State. And for those of you not from the Iowa area, McCartney played at Iowa. Iowa State had some, uh, I don't know, a desert of like 40 years where they didn't go to a bowl game. And, you know, I remember our high school field that I played on was nicer than the practice field that the Cyclones played on when I was growing up. And McCartney came there and totally changed that mentality, turned things around, and they were consistent in going to bowl games. He changed the, the imagery. You know, the Davis brothers had some Heisman hopefuls in there. Never really won a conference championship, but changed the culture in terms of we're not a bottom feeder anymore. Now we're able to sustain. We're in a bowl every year. We've got a lot of things growing. And Matt Campbell, in a lot of ways, is kind of like a young Dan McCarney in today's college game. And one of the things that McCarney would say every day at practice is, how do you want to be remembered? Are the stories about you true? They say your mother is an immortal goddess. They say you can't be killed. I wouldn't be bothering with the shield then, would I? A Thessalonian you're fighting. He's the biggest man I've ever seen. I wouldn't want to fight him. That's why no one will remember your name. Weaver, I want to pose another question, and it ties back into our compelling question of how do you want to be remembered. But I want you right now to think about the most competitive player you've ever coached. If you're listening to our podcast, go ahead and pause, pick up your notepad, and write down just a few names of the best competitors you've ever been around. JT, as our listeners have taken time and thought about their most competitive player that they've ever coached, I'm going to tell you who mine is and give you some characteristics of him. And his name is Chris Mixon. And he was the running back in the first job that I ever had as a coach. And when you say the guy won't be denied, he was competitive in the weight room. He was competitive in school. He was competitive on the football field. This guy would not be denied anything. Like if you tell him, hey, you can't lift 225 17 times, he's going to do it 18 times. If you tell him that he's not going to rush for 150 yards tonight, he's going to try to rush for 150 in the first half. And what's interesting about Chris, and it was the first kid that I coached, he was also so competitive, but he was also a servant leader. He would make sure that the locker room was clean before he left the schoolhouse. He would make sure that his teammates were taken care of, and we had a big thing with our head coach at that time, that your cleans, your excuse me, that your cleats had to be cleaned before you went and played. So on a Thursday, they would everybody would clean them, have a toothbrush and all that stuff. Um, just taking pride in your shoes, and we wore white shoes. And man, he would make sure that every everybody's cleats were like crystal clear, white, free of mud, free of dirt before they played. So he just wouldn't take a, take care of his. He would take care of everybody's. So Chris sticks out to me in that sense that he was so competitive, not just on the field, but he was also a servant 
before his time, before we started talking about servant leadership, I mean, this is going back to like 2007. Yeah, you know, sounds like an alpha teammate for sure. Definitely the qualities that are going to help you win the locker room and increase player buy-in and responsibility. About that same time period, I was coaching a running back linebacker uh, at my first high school job, and his name is Nick Monzu. And he went, ended up going on to play D2 and uh, had to ride the pine for a couple of years, but then really became a contributor on a couple good playoff teams and uh, was a starter his junior and, and fifth year, senior. So uh, a couple of years of playing there. And I remember we were, again, high school I was at, Missouri Valley. It was small, a little bit of a tradition there, but there had been kind of a, a gap since the last time they were in the playoffs. And my first year coaching would make the playoffs and a lot of it on the back of Nick. And uh, I remember specifically we're in a semifinal game and we're playing over on the eastern side of the state. And it's a one-score game with about five minutes left at the plus 40. And so we got a score. Our whole season comes down to this drive. We're not going to get the ball back. I can't remember if we had timeouts or not. But five minutes left, like, everything counts at that point. And it's third and eight. And I remember we called timeout, and we got the team gathered. And we're thinking we got two plays, right? We got two plays. We got the plus 40. We're looking for the first down. We got two plays to pick up the first. And the conversation on the headset was, well, we got Nick on third, and we got Nick on fourth. <laughs> and, you know, so the third down comes, and he got about six. And that leaves us with fourth and two. And we come back the other way with a similar run play, different blocking scheme, but similar play the other way. And Nick picked up three when he needed two. So we were able to extend the drive, you know, and we were able to finish. And then we ended up winning the ball game in overtime. But I I always think about that. It's been over a decade now. But without Nick carrying the ball twice there in that situation, there's no way that we would have won the game and kept our dreams alive. You know what I think is interesting is we went back to our early career for who our most competitive player was. We both went back to our early career. So why do you think that yeah, is? Think the, why do you think that is? I think, I think your first guy you coach, because you have nothing to compare it to. That's a great point. Like, I remember you were on the bus and going with those Missouri Valley teams. We made the playoffs and went made a couple deep runs at a state championship my first two years coaching. And it was a double-edged sword because I had nothing to compare it to. I really didn't know what was required to, to be a good team or what the components of a good team were then because I was so new. And the bad side of that, though, is that then I have this false sense of reality. Like, oh, I can do this every year. And here we are, and it's been over a decade now, and I have yet to coach another playoff game since. Wow. What do you think? What, what do you think makes uh, those players early on in our career so memorable? Uh, one, I think is we're, we're removed so early from the game, so we know what tough kids look like. We know what we kind of want out of those kids. And then I think society plays a huge role in it, like how the game has changed over time. So early on, blue-collar guys – uh, you know, Twitter, social media wasn't even around. You didn't even have Twitter. And you know what I mean? I think I think it, it changes with the times. Now, I'm not saying that I haven't had competitive players, but the early career, like I'm going back to guys that I played with in college 
that are probably tougher than guys that I would have played with now if I was a football player. I think the game has just changed. Yeah, I think there's definitely that perspective to look through, too. Earl Woods, Tiger Woods' dad, obviously one of the ultra-competitors on the face of the earth, Tiger Woods. There might not be a better example when we talk about always competing, but Earl Woods, when Tiger was a little guy and growing up and playing these tournaments and dominating before his days at Stanford, every time he won a tournament, his dad would just look at the people around him and go, let the legend grow. Hmm. And I think that's what we're talking about with legacy or with being remembered and competing every day is how is your legend growing? Yeah. You know, we did a, a leadership academy six years ago, excuse me, seven years ago at MRA with our previous head coach. And his last little deal for the kids is what legacy do you want to leave and are you leaving one that's worth following? And that's the open-ended question to those guys as we enter fall camp. And he lets them simmer on that and brings them in once a week, I remember, and ask them, was your legacy worth following this week? And it challenged them. So legacy is, is a huge uh, kind of way to look at, you know, your football team, your basketball team. You know, you have teams, and I tell I tell coaches this all the time, that every year that team's on rent. You rent yeah. that team. And their legacy is going to be what they make it. And now is it worth following or not worth following? So, you know, I had a team when I was a red shirt. It was supposed to be my red shirt junior year, and I ended up getting hurt. And uh, we had a new head coach come in at Delta State, and they went four and seven. And all they did was bitch and whine about, the head coach, the new way he was doing things. And I'm so thankful that I got to stay for one more year and play my red shirt senior year because we turned around and went nine and two. And I'm not saying that it was the senior leadership and because I was a senior and all that stuff, but the senior leadership shifted because we knew that that wasn't the legacy that we wanted to leave behind for guys to follow us. And I think that's the dirty secret to winning the locker room. That's the dirty secret to the alpha teammate is that the players, they know who the most competitive people are every day. Mm-hmm. You know, if I go back and if I pulled people from Missouri Valley from 07 to 2009 when Nick graduated, almost all of them are going to say he's the best competitor on our team. Yeah. You know? By giving him the ball twice in that situation, that made me look like a genius as a play caller. Yeah. Now, I just think this is, you know, coaches, pause this at right now. Pause this, listen right now. Pause this download. And I want you to ask your players this same question. So we identified who our most competitive player was that we have coached. I want you to ask your players, who is the most competitive person that you go against each day? Well, Coach Weaver, I want to ask you this. I'm not a big gamer. I tend to stick with the classics, the Sega, the Nintendo, play a lot of Tecmo Super Bowl, love the Nintendo Switch. Um, but games today cost $75, $100, and they're so important in the kids' lives that we coach. Imagine if you paid $75 or $100 for a game, then sat down and binged on it all night and made it through every level. How satisfied would you be with that game? Uh, I wouldn't be satisfied at all. 
May, I mean, maybe one because I binge played and I don't know. I, the competition maybe of the game didn't didn't wow me. Um, you know, and I'm not a big gamer either. So Fortnite, I'm not one of those guys. But right. but you know, I, I don't think it'd be worth the price. So you always you know it's not worth the price of admission. But I think that's the same kind of deal we're looking at here. That it wasn't very tough. It wasn't very hard. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I uh, totally agree with you. I, I'm talking about the rough side of the mountain right now. Yeah. Uh, another med on with my seventh graders. And it's like, look, there is no escalator to climbing Mount Everest. You mm-hmm. know, you can't say you're going to climb it and then hop on the escalator and a few days later be back safely on the other side. People what? die trying to climb Mount Everest. A lot of people try, and then they've got a, their plan gets destroyed for a lot of reasons. It takes two months. You need to block off two months of time if you're interested in an, an endeavor like that. And I think video games are kind of the same way, and always competing is kind of the same way. You have to be able to compete on a daily basis with tremendous effort. And that rough side of the mountain, that figuring things out, you know, a few years ago the word was noob. Like when you're a noob and you get shot up right away in a game and it's game over real quick and your friends turn on you and laugh at you and whatever, there's value in that because it fuels you to go get more, to not be a noob anymore, to level up. Yeah, you know, and I watched the free solo on National Geographic. We have the Disney Plus and I watched that and you talk about no escalator. (laughs) Man, this guy... I was on pins and needles just watching him climb, you know, and God bless him. You know, he, he fell to his death back in November of 2019. Um, I think he fell like 300 meters, but, uh, man, I, I couldn't do that. I'm just saying, if you told me to yeah. go, I couldn't. Now, I'm, I consider myself tough, and I'm ultra competitive, but... Man, I'm, I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I worry about what we teach kids today. We, we teach, we, we push protect. We want them to do hard things, but we protect them from experiencing any of the real discomfort or the challenges that they might if they fail. And as I think about the kind of leaders we're preparing, the next generation of workers, most of the jobs don't exist yet, so have no idea what skills to teach. But really, name me one job where they're going to have to compete on a daily level. All right, well, Coach Weaver, well, I think about this. This is the thought as an educator that keeps me moving forward with my seventh graders, is that most of the jobs they're going to have when they get to be old like you and I don't exist yet. Yeah. They're... And how do, you, how do you teach skills to, when you don't know what skills are going to be required? You know, and I, I go back to soft skills, and I just talked about this. It's so funny that we're talking about this today. I just talked about this with my students in, in health first period. We were talking about life skills. Like, how do you learn those life skills, those soft skills that's not going to come out of a textbook or out of a PowerPoint? And the one word that we wrote, and I'm looking at it right now on my dry erase board, is communication. How do we effectively communicate with people? And I think the more you know, the more you grow. And I think that's what's going to help them, you know, because right now, JT, they want it. They want it so easy. 
they want to, you know, go A, B, and then just say Z. Or, you know, like I can home alone, it goes, get your keister off my property, and he counts to 10, he goes, 1, 2, 10. That's how they want things these days. They want instant gratification, microwave society. But my word to them today was communication. Ask questions. And look, you're, you're going to fail. Get ready. It's going to happen. But I want you to learn and grow from it and then keep trying. Yeah, and we do it to ourselves. Like, we live in a society today where we push for tech. We push kids to try new things. We push kids to experience discomfort. But we protect them from really failing or really going all in. It's kind of like lukewarm, you know? Like, yeah. I'll get in when the temperature's right or when the setting's exactly right. In the meantime, I'm just going to chill on the outside. Yeah. They're, they're scared to test the water because they don't know what the yeah. water, if it's hot or cold. Well, it, it doesn't really matter. And that's the same thing that goes for people that compete. And I think, I think that's why you always compete. You know, I just interviewed our head boys basketball coach who's going to be on in season four, Richard DeWeese, the all-time winningest basketball coach in Mississippi. And he just told me today, he goes, I could really care less about the wins and losses. It's how my kids respond to adversity is going to help them in life. And hit, look, look I, I just said he's the winningest coach in Mississippi basketball, boys and girls. And his main thing to me was, I don't care about the wins and losses. I care about our kids handling adversity. How do they handle press, uh, press man-to-man defense? And then he also said this, I want to see how they respond to being successful. So, I mean, there's a level of competition that you got to compete with yourself daily. I mean, it's you versus yourself. That's right. That goes back to the 1% better. And whatever you have to do, it's almost like that's that soft skill. Competition, the soft skill. And if you've experienced it and you've been challenged and you've pushed through it, you've competed before, it's easier to compete the next time. The hardest time to compete is when it's brand new, when it's fresh, when you don't know – what's gonna happen. And so if you can build that mantra and that mindset of always competing, and I think that's what's made Pete Carroll successful at you know the college level and at the NFL. And I think that rejuvenates him too. He's almost seventy years old. And you never look you never see it when you look at him on T V. Well Coach Weaver, as I think about the legacy I'm creating every day and as I think about how do I want to be remembered I think it really comes down to this. And I read it recently, it resonates with me, and I've really kind of taken it and made it my own. But with kids today, or with yourself, you really need to create a story and make yourself the hero. And any story, whether it's Star Wars, or whether it's some book that you're reading right now, or if it's a reality TV show or whatever, the story's only compelling if that hero has to go through all these different challenges and you're not sure how it's going to end up for him in the end. JT, that's super, super powerful. Um, you know, I had somebody today tell me, or excuse me, somebody didn't tell me. My wife, you know, I try to do everything in my power to give people, you know, to help, to be useful. But there's sometimes that you can't. And she looked at me and she goes, turn around. And I turned around. She goes, you don't have a a cape on your back. You don't have a cape. 
And I think a lot of times we want to be that superhero all the time, but that also costs us our legacy because we over uh, promise, we over um, commit ourselves. So I like what you said about competing against yourself daily like that. Um, here's what I think about with legacy. You know, and, and I told you before, and this sounds corny, but I think about um, like a fraternity or a sorority, you know, how they have legacies and you kind of, you yeah. know, and I want to leave my generation for my kids better than what I had it for. So, you know, I, I would hope my dad wanted it better for me than he had it. And then I want it better for my son. So I don't know if that's paving the way. You know, I don't want to be a lawnmower or a helicopter parent where I'm, like, overprotective. But I want what he has. And I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about values. I'm talking about values. Stuff that I learned, I want to pass to him. Values, trials, tribulations, and stuff like that. To have the Weaver legacy carried on better for my son's son than I had it. Does that make sense? Oh, it's great perspective. And as you're talking about that, I think sometimes we think legendary, we have to do big things. But as you're talking about it, my wife and I, we celebrate our 10 year anniversary in 2020. And it's like, if we could make it to 50 years, like my grandpa and grandma were married for 70, 68 years. Wow. They died within five weeks of each other, well into their 90s and, and whatever. But look at today's family values. 50, <laughs> if you can make it 50 years anymore, that's rare. Yeah. And it's really getting rarer with the divorce rates and the second marriages and whatever else. So as you talk about making it better for your family, and my wife comes from a divorce background, so there's extra challenges. That's another ace, actually, from a previous episode, is if your parents divorced. Yep. And that's, that's a reality. So it's gotta be a daily fist fight. I'm always competing to try to get over some of those childhood experiences. And there's two other sides to this I wanna talk about. So we talk about friends, we talked about family, but a big word I taught our health class today was community. How are you with community? And that goes back to that communication piece of who will remember your name. So you say about this, and people say this all the time, JT, and I know we're kind of rambling, but I think it's worth it for our listeners, is how many people are there that want to talk to you, want to talk, like, call you, text you, DM you, whatever, but then you go to their funeral and everybody's there like, man, everybody's there to see you when you pass away. It shouldn't be that way. Shouldn't be that way. I don't want to wait till my funeral to find out how that's going to be. That's right. You know, who will remember your name? Go ahead. Oh, so whether you're talking about sweeping the sheds or building a band of brothers or having great body language and eye contact or being a great teammate or thinking about your legacy, it all funnels back together. Mm -hmm. Right? All those things build on each other. Part one is as relevant right now as part eight is as you finish listening. Well, Coach Weaver, that concludes part eight of the Culture Connection. And I have one last inside activity for all of our listeners to do. 
And that's when this track stops, I want you to go back to your notepad or whatever you've been writing on. And I want you to ask yourself one question. I want you to make a list of all the challenges that you're facing in your life right now, whether they're big or small, it doesn't matter, a challenge is a challenge. And how are you, as the hero of your own story, working every day to get past those challenges? This concludes the Culture Connection, an eight-part series on building leadership and influence within your team. To find additional resources, including all the PowerPoints or other handouts, please visit CoachRandyJackson.com and download yours today. Also, stay tuned as Season 4 of the Culture Classroom resumes. We can't wait for you to hear the interviews with some amazing leaders, such as Randy Jackson out of North Forney High School in the Dallas area, and host of Run the Power podcast, Brady Walls. GameStrat is the number one choice for football coaches looking for the most reliable and advanced sideline replay system on the market. More coaches are switching to GameStrat because it simply works when it's supposed to work. And unlike other systems, GameStrat is simpler to set up and use, delivers the fastest video transfer times in the industry, gives you the most tagging capabilities, and has the best game day support. Choose GameStrat for your game day needs. Cultural Classroom is supported by Lausanne Learning, a nonprofit run by educators for educators with a mission to engage students, empower teachers, and transform schools. Through professional development conferences focusing on active learning, practical resources, and reflective teaching, including fishbowl classrooms and a unique teacher-to-teacher -teacher consulting program, Lausanne Learning is providing the authentic professional development your school needs. Visit them at lawsandlearning.com today to find one of their active learning conferences near you and to learn more about changing education from the ground up.